Welcome to another episode of Vet School Unleashed, where we dissect topics and issues relating to life in veterinary school. I'm your host, Seth Williams, and I'm a veterinary student at the University of Missouri College of Veterinary Medicine. Today on the podcast, we're going to dissect how technology and innovation is playing a role in veterinary medicine and how students of vet med can capitalize on these big and exciting changes that are coming to our industry. I am so excited and very, very thrilled to be here joined today by veterinary entrepreneur, Dr. Adam Little. Adam is a graduate of Ontario Veterinary College in Guelph, Ontario, uh, and is currently working on a ton of different projects in veterinary medicine that we're going to touch a bit on today. Uh, He's doing work with artificial intelligence and wearable technologies for our pets. Uh, Telemedicine is a big one and also incorporating practice data into clinics and hospitals and in vet med in general. He now spends part of his time in Texas. He's a member of the faculty at Texas A&M University College of Veterinary Medicine, where he has a focus on innovation and entrepreneurism in the veterinary space. You can learn more about Adam and his awesome work at www.exponentialvet.com. Also be sure to check him out on Twitter, You can hear more about the future of technology and innovation and its impact on animal health. Well, Adam, thank you very much for joining us today. Thank you very much for having me. So to get started, I know that your journey to where you are today uh, was a bit unorthodox, at least uh, from when you graduated vet school. Would you mind sharing a bit about your story and journey and how you got to where you are today as a a veterinary entrepreneur? Yeah, no, I'm happy to. Um, it's uh, definitely been a, a unique and sort of colorful path. Um, you know, sometimes I kind of sit back and it's, it's very difficult to, to sort of map out and probably a lot of luck and support. But uh, I entered veterinary school, uh, like most people intending to be a, a small animal clinician, had spent, you know, years of, of volunteering, um, really wanted to actually be an oncologist or a neurologist. Um, and throughout the first couple of years of vet school, I had a number of different experiences that I think sort of primed me to look at uh, different ways in which veterinarians could contribute to the society. The first was um, I spent some time in, in Tanzania in the summer of uh, between first and second year with Veterinarians Without Borders and spent three months in, in rural Africa looking at the ways in which a veterinary capacity could be built uh, specifically with with poultry farmers um, in, in the Rungwe district. And that really gave me, I think, a uh, a perspective on the broader roles that veterinarians could uh, play. Uh, in addition to sort of clinical medicine, you know, there was a lot of health management, there was a lot of client uh, and community engagement, and I found those fields really fascinating and really enabling people to take more and better control of their own situations and look at models where you know, veterinary expertise didn't have to be limited to, to just one person but could really become embedded within a community of people. The second is it gave me a lot of time to actually you know read and do research when I was uh, sitting there um, uh, after after the day was done and I began to see you know these reports coming out you know the bare animal use uh, study was one that was was coming out at that time of how uh, the veterinary profession was struggling I think under on the under the weight of uh, different you know client demands uh, the changes to the economy and how and how the practice model was really being challenged so that's when we were getting some data suggesting that you know people weren't taking their animals into the veterinarian as often that there was an impact on the practice and I began to think of ways in which we could address that challenge because from my perspective if the models of care were changing you know 
know, I was in a class of over 100 people that were all intending to go out and, and practice medicine, but it seemed like the sort of the system that they were going into was evolving before our eyes. And I thought there must be a better way to connect uh, veterinarians um, to clients and to patients. And so I came back in and, and wanted to create a company uh, when I came back from Tanzania around addressing that problem. And, and that sort of took me on an interesting journey for the next couple of years. Cool. So, I mean, so as veterinary students, I, mean, I know that we, you talked a lot to um, veterinarians that are in the industry, but also students. Um, what should we as students be looking out for? What could we be doing right now to capitalize on our careers in the future. You know, we know that technology is going to be playing a huge role as we know, you know, just with the trends that I think our world's going to be changing more than, you know, more so than we can even imagine right now. Mm-hmm. What can we do, be doing now to prepare ourselves, ourselves or to uh, prepare to capitalize on those changes as a veterinarian? Yeah, no, that's, that's a really good question. I think it can be really um, challenging. It certainly was challenging for me kind of being in in a classroom surrounded by, you know, folks with not a lot of time in between class to be able to explore some of these challenges and, 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 and these changes that we're speaking about. So while veterinary students sort of have a, a feeling um, that things are changing, you know, they're using services like Uber and Airbnb um, on, you know, Facebook and all these new social tools. And every week there seems to be a new thing out um there's a lack of understanding about sort of the underlying trends that we're seeing in how these technologies are evolving. So, and the convergence that they, uh, that, that can be achieved and the opportunities that, that, that the convergence of these fields presents. So for example, the fact that, you know, we're, we're moving in a direction where we have far more uh, connected devices, where we have better tools to be able to analyze that information, um, the ability to create experiences through augmented and virtual reality. And so we don't, really look and understand beyond the headlines. And so I think that creates a bit of a blind spot to the profession. And there's also this general feeling at times where, you know, we want the benefits of some of these changes, but um, maybe as providers of the existing model, we can be very threatened. And so, for example, if you're a taxi operator, you're not a huge fan of Uber. Um, but if you're a, a consumer of that service, you that's what you're striving towards, something more affordable, more convenient etc. And so sometimes wearing that that lens or that hat of the client or the or the producer in the veterinary space, it, it presents a different opportunity to look at the models of care and maybe where those problems exist. Um, so I think that there's a lot of just general awareness that could be achieved as we expose students to to what's happening in the world around us and, and highlighting the impact that that has on, on practice. Cool. So, I mean, I, I think that's great. One of my questions is that, you know, I've talked to a lot of vet students and they have a lot of great ideas um, and, and it may be a problem with our generation, but you know, when we get told no, I think we take it pretty hard, um, maybe harder than, than other generations have in the, in before. And we talked about being persistent and all of that, um, you know, for these ideas that we have that could really change medicine, veterinary medicine. Uh, and when we go into practices that may not want to change or afraid to change or even making changes to, 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 how we do school and how we learn, we're going to get told no a lot there because people are afraid or they don't want to adopt that change. What, any, what tips do you have that, you know, to be more persistent and to, you know, it's going to take a hundred no's until you get a yes. Yeah. 
So, so one of the things that I think is really um, important for people just to understand and be aware of is that, you know, the biggest and most successful companies and, and people that we have in, in the world today, whether that's a CEO or a founder, they got a ton of no's and pushback along the way. Sometimes the craziest ideas are the ones that fast forward five or 10 years seem to be the most successful. And you, you think of even the concept of, of sharing your car with another human how nuts that would have seemed and how many issues that would have presented before you even began to build that business. And so there's a degree of resiliency that needs to be, um, that, that individuals and organizations need to have. Um, but I think one of the challenges in particular within a medical community is that failure means the death of a patient, right? We, mm -hmm. we don't like this sort of concept of embracing failure because it means that we've, uh, we've done something wrong and, and, and really not focused on the learning opportunity associated with it. And our entire educational model is really predicated on that, where the way in which we perform evaluations and tests, you know, failure is a bad thing. Mm -hmm. And so what happens and where that sort of blends to, to the entrepreneurs within the veterinary community is that um, there isn't a lot of willingness. I, I think there's a lot of protectionism around ideas, mainly because people think inherently that, you know, that's the precious piece and they want to keep that, um, in place as long as they can, instead of being more active and collaborating and getting feedback and moving their, their concepts from a sheet of paper to something more significant. The other thing that I think is a major challenge is that in, in the business and entrepreneur and, and engineering communities, there's a lot more understanding of the support mechanisms in place for entrepreneurs. And so people that have ideas that are coming out of these faculty, they, you know, they have, um, whether it's dedicated faculty members, access to governmental support, they have a knowledge of the, the ecosystem in place to support startup companies. And if you're a veterinary student, you don't have any visibility to that. You are sort of an odd duckling, so to speak. And I think that makes it very difficult to be able to seek out and collaborate with those around you who could offer some true support to you and bring in some new unique perspectives. Totally. Uh, cool. So let's talk about some innovation ideas. What, what do you foresee or what are you predicting or at least in, in your findings or things that you've been seeing in your own work, um, that we should be keeping an eye out for or preparing ourselves to get more involved with? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. I think that there's a number of areas that I'm, you know, personally and professionally really excited about. I think one of the, the caveats there that's worth noting is that, you know, if I was this good at predicting what, what was going on, I should, you know, play the lottery. And in a lot of, <laughs> in a lot of cases, there will be dozens of companies that fail along the way. And right. so I tend not to choose specific companies as much as what is the underlying trend, um, or, or field that they are occupying that maybe they will be an early pioneer of, but they won't necessarily be the successful player in it. Uh, oftentimes, it's kind of the first one through the wall gets uh, gets the bloody nose, so to speak. And uh, you'll you'll see along the ways of, of sort of paving out these new areas of technology that there's a lot of mistakes along the way. But I think that allows us to make smarter decisions and ultimately better uh, better companies. So a couple of the trends that I'm most excited about is, is sort of this shift um, from the clinic being the primary primary source of data generation. And so when you look at the ways that clinics have been set up, they have lots of pieces of equipment, they have people that are trained to, to use that equipment. Um, and that means that a lot of the patient data is generated within the four walls of a clinic, and mm -hmm. that can be inaccessible and expensive to some folks. And uh, and often, you know, one of the most challenging aspects of veterinary medicine today is just getting buy-in for your recommendations. Veterinarians constantly have to make trade-offs between do I use this test or do I do this test um, and don't get sort of the full um, 
complement of results that maybe they need to make a decision. What's happening in kind of at this sort of phase is that we're seeing that a lot of data is already beginning to shift um, outside of the clinic. And so whether that's um, client um, education, whether that's clients understanding of the clinical experience, whether that's their reviews and their own reflection on their experience, we're kind of seeing how, you know, platforms like, you know, Glassdoor and Facebook and Twitter and Yelp and all these kind of platforms where people are sharing information about their experiences with a clinic that today are very of a, very much a non-medical, let's say, data stream. However, what's beginning to happen is that we're seeing that as more devices uh, come online or connected, there's some really interesting pieces of medical information that are going to be generated outside of the clinic. And whether that's vital sign monitoring or medication compliance or remote health devices for things like chronic care management. So you have diabetes you know, managing a, a diabetic patient will have, you know, connected devices associated with it. And so this kind of combination between client empowerment and how that impacts the veterinary relationship is something very interesting. And I think we're going to see a lot of these data streams that used to be considered like precious within the veterinary clinic. You know, this is where you come to do X. Well, now there's going to be all sorts of information that's generated outside of the clinic. And then the, the problem space rather shifts between one of, you know, diagnostic tests maybe being scarce and those results being um, uh, predicated on a scarcity model too. We just have this information now. How do we use it? How do we analyze it? And how do we deploy services and products effectively and, and safely uh, around these new areas of, of information? So that's one trend I'm, I'm pretty excited about. Cool. So, you know, in, in terms of innovative ideas or, or ways that we can bring some or shed new light on the veterinary world. Um, you know, we, and, and by the way, I should disclose that um, we just heard a great talk from Adam uh, at a VBMA meeting, the Veterinary Business Management Association at Mizzou uh, that I'm involved in. So um, for you all in vet school, I would highly encourage you to get involved with your local VBMA chapter because they, they have some great resources on the things we're talking about now and, and in veterinary business in general. But in that meeting today, we talked a lot about outsourcing and or crowdsourcing rather, um, and like you know when we have these ideas that that um, that come to mind, you know, five ten years ago it'd be like oh man I got to learn how to design and engineer and code and these crazy things that would be huge barriers to to getting anything done. Um, so can you talk a little bit about how that works? I know that you've had a lot of experience with utilizing that area of technology um, and how we can use that to move our ideas along and, and kind of lower that barrier to being innovative and, and again, shedding some new light and ideas into vet med. Yeah, no, that's a great, that's a great, uh, great question um, and, and comment there. I think, you know, backtrack again, a couple of decades. And if, if you wanted to take, you had some sort of concept that you wanted to turn into a business it used to cost a lot of money. It used to cost a lot of money for a whole bunch of different reasons, for, for lawyers, for deployment of technology, for design, for all these aspects that were kind of considered um, things that you had to have to even begin the process. And there's a couple different things that are happening on, in a larger business sense that I think are important for the veterinary uh, profession to recognize. The first is kind of this growth of like the lean startup movement where um, 
historically companies have spent millions of dollars deploying products and services, you know, big companies and small companies that no one ends up wanting. Right. So they spend all this time on the drawing board, they work internally, and then they produce this, this product to the market that people then say, you know what, that's not really what I need or what I'm willing to buy. And, uh, and so we need better, I think, more scientific ways to actually determine whether what we what we're building has value, whether the problem that we're attempting to solve um, is even a problem to begin with and what that problem really looks like today. Um, and and the good news is there has never been a better time to use some of the existing tools to more quickly come to those critical answers. And so, for example, when we were working with uh, for IBM Watson, you know, we, we started training the system to think like a veterinarian. And one of the, the assumptions that we made in that process was about the content that the system would have to understand to support veterinarians. And so, you know, we want to be able to answer a whole bunch of different questions. And for the system to be able to help veterinarians answer those questions, we need these content resources, be them journals or books, and there's costs associated with licensing that. You know, we made a lot of assumptions that I think were incorrect along the ways in terms of what content people would want and how they would want to interact with it. So fast forward after spending a year developing this and, and me sort of changing roles and moving moving on to a new opportunity, I decided to run a one-day experiment where I, I, I had a veterinarian sitting beside me and we reached out to 10 veterinarians and we said that today at this phone number, you have an artificially intelligent veterinarian assistant called V. And V will be able to answer via text any questions that you ask um, to the best of its ability. Now, in reality, it was a human who was providing those responses. Mm -hmm. But I wanted to, as quickly as possible, figure out three things. The first was... Um, would people actually want to communicate via text? Like that's a pretty big assumption and, and, and maybe that's wrong. People don't like presenting cases via text message. The second is, could we even support the questions that they were asking and what types of questions would they ask about medical cases, about client communication? And then the third is based on those responses, was there an opportunity to actually use um, uh, computers to help automate that decision making or would it be us just typing as fast as we can and that literally cost us nothing to run to set up the mm -hmm. text messaging to have the student there it was a bit of time but we learned more in that two days than probably the last year of us working with with watson and again it kind of speaks to this idea that you know the veterinary students inherently think that there's a high bar to get started mm -hmm. and i don't think that that's the case and i think whether that's you know setting up a landing page and seeing if your idea has any traction to um you know faking some sort of uh, process in the background with the assistance of humans there's a variety of sort of new ways to prototype your idea and one of the things that we're focusing on now is how do you um, encourage veterinary students to go beyond that piece of paper and, and really, you know, take this idea that might be, you know, not fully baked in their head and get it out in ways that we can begin to, to get some true feedback from, from users and customers. Because oftentimes if you don't get that feedback and if you think that money is the bottleneck, um, you end up designing things that people just don't want. Mm -hmm. and, and so I think um, that's a very different sort of mindset for, for veterinary students who most times are used to having all the information laid out in front of them. And there's just so much uncertainty right now that, and we need new business processes to to reflect that. Cool. Um, topic that I want to talk about was Dr. Google and your thoughts on Dr. Google. Because we hear about that a lot in vet school about, you know, be prepared for that. When your client comes in, they're going to bring something from the Internet that's going to be either totally trash or totally uncredible. Um, 
But in my opinion, I feel like there's an opportunity there for us to, because people are going to do it no matter what. I mean, the way that the internet is playing a role in our lives, I think it's inevitable that that's going to be the first stop that they go. Do you have any thoughts on how we can like, instead of looking at Dr. Google as a bad thing, mm-hmm. uh, that's the thing I'm curious in because I don't think it, it it's a bad thing necessarily. I mean, mm-hmm. like maybe we could be the source for that. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I, I don't know. Yeah, no, I think you raise a, a really uh, good point in that, you know, we have this expectation. It's kind of like the, the veterinary vacuum that, um, well, we accept and we enjoy and we benefit from the fact that we're constantly connected to the internet for things like finding your restaurant or talking to your friends or searching for something to shop. We have this unrealistic expectation that clients aren't going to be using those those tools to better manage their pet's health. And it's almost like we chastise them in, in the models that we have today for, for seeking that out, where it, to your point, it is a bad thing. Meanwhile, whenever veterinarians need assistance about their own animals or even patients, they're constantly, you know, texting other colleagues or going on the internet at, at all hours. So there is this sort of gap where, where we believe that um, veterinary clients should be held to a sort of a different standard than ourselves um, and, and find it almost at times really detrimental or frustrating that they do seek out these services. Mm-hmm. So then you raise, and then, to a certain extent, as we've been talking about, the internet looks different as as the world evolves. And so its ability to not just be a static page, but dynamic content that's tailored to your surroundings, that's more intelligent and faster and, and, and more personalized, like those are trends that you don't want to bet against, right? Mm-hmm. And so again, you know, Dr. Google wasn't necessarily a problem when very few people had computers and the internet connectivity wasn't, wasn't uh wasn't particularly impressive and the, and the content wasn't there to begin with, but now everything's available on our phones. People are taking photos or they're, they're looking for, I, I think more immediate, more personalized and more actionable information. And so the question then becomes, how can you create a world in which that isn't a barrier to the veterinary experience? And I think um, there's, there's several ways that that can be addressed. I think to a certain extent, um, guiding and having a more active conversation about the content needs of of clients, and what, and not just giving them a handout, but um, being able to not just create a, a list of websites that they should be visiting, but creating the back end experience around that. So, you know, we're going to set up a week by week plan for you to measure diabetes. These are the articles that you might want. These are the things that I recommend. And then we're going to send a text-based reminder just to see if you thought it was interesting. Mm-hmm. And so trying to create this conversation where the expectation, which I think is unrealistic, that they're just going to kind of go away and sort things out for themselves, right? I think veterinary uh, clients are looking for more support, which is why they go to breeders and groomers and community forums because they need that more continuous conversation. And so if we can play that role, that's fantastic. Um, I think the other thing that's important to recognize in this entire process is that um, there is an unrealistic expectation that like the care sort of stops at nine to five and, and that, um, you know, why is it that clients are constantly, you know, calling us or asking silly questions or wanting to see us at all hours. And, and, and I think that's really misguided from my opinion, because I do agree that veterinarians should be compensated for their work. I'm not saying, you know, work 24 seven, but we have an expectation in society that if I find that, you know, I've run out of laundry detergent, I'm going to order it online at 2 a.m. and I'm going to get that delivered the next day. And if that experience was to break down, I would feel slighted as a, a consumer. And so I think we're, we're hearing time and time again that people want a different sort of experience. And more importantly, they really value the veterinarian's role in that experience. They really trust right. that individual vet. And so we need better ways to build a network 
a, a, a basically a network around the veterinarian to help them more efficiently support clients whose expectations are draining in a way that offers true benefit back to the practice. And I don't know if we're, we're there yet right now, which is why you see some of the breakdowns um, that we you, that you were discussing. Right. You, yeah, you bring up an interesting point, which kind of um, hits home to me because, uh, I mean, people, have, especially my wife, you know, a workaholic, I mean, like, I don't really... I'm working on it, getting a better divide with my work-life balance. I mean, I just love to work and I love to <laughs> do stuff. Um, and I actually met a veterinarian a couple weeks ago in Columbia in a bar, go figure, um, that was not from Columbia. His kid goes to, goes to Mizzou for undergrad. Um, and he, he owns a couple of practices in, uh, in central Illinois. And he was saying that one of his big complaints with the new vets that are coming out is that they don't have that mindset that being a veterinarian, um, that you're still a veterinarian after five o'clock. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that, you know, if, if we can instill that in our vet students, in our, in our new veterinarians that, you know, you can do so much better, not only financially, which is not even the most important part, but obviously very important, but in the care of your patients and, and in the relationship with your clients that, you know, if we can come out with the mindset that, we are a service industry and it's not a nine to five job. Mm-hmm. Um, cause I know that with your career, you know, you're not a, a clinician. Um, so your job, you know, your work could be all hours of the day. Mm-hmm. Could you talk about, you know, w- what are you seeing, you know, with, with young veterinarians or veterinarians in general and, and what would you recommend that, or how would you recommend that we take a look at our career? Yeah. So I think, um, there was this kind of misconception that when we say, you know, you have to work, um, it's not a nine to five job that you have to be at a computer 24 seven, not getting paid, serving clients that have random recommend, you know, random things coming in. And, and I think that's, that's not entirely true where it's the idea that we have to find new ways to support clients mm-hmm. and that should be available ideally whenever, wherever, in ways that are more accessible and friendly and affordable, that doesn't mean that you have to be everything to everyone. And I think what we're seeing is that there's new sorts of business models that are being created to serve clients when the traditional model sort of breaks down. So whether that's in-home services, whether that's out-of-hour services. And I think the other thing that's really important is that um, a lot of veterinary services today are incredibly administrative heavy in the sense that, you know, providing care comes with it a whole bunch of other dependencies. So we need to have a building and we mm-hmm. need to have a staff and we need to keep inventory and we need to, you know, manage the payroll. We need to have all these other components, which makes it very difficult to scale based on the needs that, uh, of the clients. and makes it far less dynamic or adaptive based on the, the needs of both our internal but uh, our external stakeholders. And what I would say from from a veterinary student perspective is that there are going to be new opportunities mm-hmm. for you to deploy your knowledge um, as a job, whether that's providing teleconsultations um, to clients in a primary care setting, assisting with triage, doing a, a few in-home visits, um, this notion that you're sort of bound by one clinic and one clinic alone to do the same sort of tasks for decades at a time, and that's the, that, that's the only path available, I think you're going to see many more different uh, operations present themselves. And then that's going to change, I think, the relationships that we have with hospitals. I think that's going to change how veterinarians see themselves, where maybe mm-hmm. this goal of, hey, I, I, you know, success to me today looks like, you know, five years as an associate, buy into a practice, own the practice, expand the practice, grow multiple locations. I don't see that happening in 25 or 30 years. I think, I think the careers of today's veterinary 
graduates are likely to look very different. But I also think there's going to be opportunities to deploy your work in more meaningful ways and in more impactful ways, giving you far better flexibility and giving you um, better compensation. Because again, you know, our fear today is that I'm going to be stuck on the phone talking about random search results and not getting paid and, mm-hmm. and losing the experience of, of the clients that are waiting for that in-person interaction. And I don't think that has to be the model. And I think that there's far better alternatives to that, to the betterment of the individual veterinarians, but ultimately to the betterment of the, the client base. That's that's a really interesting point. I'd never really thought about that. What do you, what ideas are you thinking that, that the job that we know right now as, a, as being a veterinarian is going to change, at mm-hmm. least how, it, how it's going to be for us in 20 years or however many years it's going to be. What, what picture do you see? I mean, what, what's the, yeah. what's the vision? So, so um, there's a couple sort of things that I'm, I'm seeing that are, are interesting sort of problems that are presenting themselves, I think is opportunities for the veterinary profession. The first is like inherently when you're providing data. So let's say, for example, um, you uh, fast forward a couple of years and this is already sort of available, but you have a, a cat that has renal disease or has hyperthyroidism um, and you decide to prescribe a connected litter box. You say that there's information about litter box behavior that helps my understanding of that patient. Well, if you're the company that's developing that, you know, how do you translate the information that's being provided by the litter box to something of action to the veterinarians? And what, you know, what sort of um, is necessary between those two phases? Mm-hmm. Um, and what opportunities are there for other veterinarians to be more specifically trained in managing you know, care from connected devices who have a, you know, the client experience and communication piece, but also the data analysis piece there? And you can imagine that for a number of different connected devices or things like even uh, geno- uh, genetic screens where today that information is still, you know, very new pieces of data for veterinary clinics. And there isn't an easy place to plug that information into the existing clinic model. But veterinarians have an incredible opportunity to occupy that layer between the in-home services and the in-clinic in services. So that's kind of one thing I'm interested in. The second, the second piece is that as we get better information on these patients, there's an opportunity for veterinarians to be recognized by their contributions and their expertise to like very specific cases. And so, you know, look at the model today where if you need a TPLO, you're going to call on a surgeon and that surgeon is being called in because they have a certain set of credentials, right? Mm-hmm. Um, in some cases we have a knowledge of them because of past experiences or recommendations from vets, etc. What we don't have visibility to yet, and I think we will, is that, you know, how good is that surgeon on doing surgery for an eight-year-old German shepherd versus, you know, a two-year-old Great Dane, right? Right. Like getting to the point that it's not just sort of these generic pieces of evaluation, but we can get really, really specific. We might also find then that there's new ways to value the work of existing practitioners because I'm sure there are some great vets who don't have the formal certification of X, but have seen so many cases and, and had so many positive outcomes that they could, you know, help you look at blood work and provide a better, you know, internal medicine consultation experience than randomly calling up, um, an existing company services or an academic setting. And so these new models where as we get better visibility to not just the decisions that are being made by veterinarians, but the outcomes mm-hmm. um, uh, that are provided um, and by, by clients that are recognized within the medical records and captured provide different sort of like reward mechanisms, right? And so suddenly the person that we thought was going to be great at, at doing these sorts of things, there might, there might be somebody in my area, maybe it's a technician, et cetera, who is fantastic at doing, you know, telemedicine consultations. And, and so we don't, 
so I think the way that we even look at the skill sets that we need uh, for the tasks that clinics are going to require, um, I think it changes quite significantly, much in the way that, you know, Uber matches you to drivers for a variety of reasons based on their car, based on their driving record, based on their proximity to you. And so that when you step into that experience, it's like the, it's, it's perfectly aligned with your expectations. Now, if, if you just said a button, hit a button and said like, find me a car and the car was a truck and the guy had never driven with Uber before and he arrived two blocks down and you had to walk over there, that would be a terrible experience, right? And yes. here's the thing, we accept that as a terrible experience, but when we draw the parallel to veterinary medicine, we sort of blame the customer and say, well, you should just figure that out. Like go walk down the block and you should be, you should be happy that we found time to pick you up. Right. <laughs> <laughs> totally. Um, yeah, that's super interesting. Um, so I guess as, as a closing topic, as vet students that are thinking about, because I, I know that, you know, as vet students, we all have these crazy ideas, or what we think are crazy ideas, um, even just new ideas. You know, we, we are in, in our clinic rotations and we see something that just, we, we, you know, maybe as millennials, we just think it's absurd that they're still doing this. <laughs> or, um, you know, we're in, in lecture and we know there's a better way to do this or to, to be taught or to use technology. What can we be doing as vet students right now if we have these ideas yeah. um, to either start implementing them, um, just start planning with them. And then I guess furthermore on the back end, how can we use that, you know, to maybe leverage ourselves in our first job or mm-hmm. um, in practice ownership, if, if we want to do that, you know, how, how can we use that as a tool, not only in vet school, but also, you know, right when we get out. Yeah, sure. So I'll give you a, a few specific things. I think um, it's really important to immerse yourselves in environments where your veterinary experience and expertise is like unique. Mm-hmm. And so one of the things that I did when I was in vet school is I just, I went to pitch competitions. I went, I found out in my area and at my university, who were the people who, um, who did startups, who supported entrepreneurs, what events do they have? And just kind of went into environments where it, it happens pretty quickly you sort of stand out like you, we've never had a veterinarian here. We've never talked to a veterinary student like mm-hmm. what's going on here, because I think the expectation is that veterinarians kind of have it all figured out. Right. Like when you talk to clients, I think one of the challenges right there today is like there's always this sort of misalignment of expectations between clients thinking, you know, vets make a lot of money. They're really well off. They're really happy. They love pets. How could you not like your job and be and be profitable when in the reality, a lot of veterinarians say, like, you have no idea how hard I work. The, the compensation that I get, um, the unrealistic expectations, and frankly, the mental health impacts right. of the profession. And so I think it's really important and really fulfilling to kind of get in situations where you can find your purpose and your passion. And that is clearly um, something that can act as a beacon for other folks. This, the second piece is that I think that uh, veterinary students um, through that process need to kind of accept the fact that th- this this process of entrepreneurship it's not that you're going to produce, you know, a, a billion dollar f- social networking site in two weeks. Like right. it's not that that hasn't ever happened, um, but it's rare. And and right now for veterinary students, I think it's more importantly about putting yourself out there and using your existing networks, which I think veterinarians really undervalue. So for example, when I was in vet school and I literally had just an idea on a piece of paper, I want to, I talked to vets and in the beginning, um, and when I was going through the process, I really thought that that was a lot about the product, mm-hmm. but really it was about the process and the people. So even though that, that app in vet school never really became much of anything, people remembered me and they remembered the fact that I was a vet student trying to do something different. And that enabled me to get into more conversations. And so it's the idea that all you need to do is like find one, 
find one or two people that will sit down for you for a cup of coffee if you have an idea and say, you know what, this is what I'm kind of thinking. Can you tell me a little bit about how you're doing this? The, the, the last piece there is, is, is really focusing on the problem. So I think, again, veterinarians are sort of looking for this silver bullet needle in a haystack solution that's completely novel. Um, and in reality, that doesn't usually happen, right? It's, it's businesses that um, they do something better on an existing problem, and then that allows them to capitalize and, and do some interesting things. And so taking an opportunity to be far less uh, kind of prescriptive in how you communicate what you're working on, I think is really important. So going in open-minded as opposed to saying, you know, I have this idea, tell me what's either good or bad. But like, if you're trying to solve a scheduling problem, mm -hmm. so today you're like, you know what, there's a problem because veterinarians have a lot of empty slots in their appointment schedule and people um, should be matched to those slots as opposed to calling in, right? right? Instead of saying, you know, here's my app to do it, Talk to practice owners about whether they think that's a problem. Can you tell me what your average day looks like? Do you have any empty spots? How do you go about filling them? How how many spots on average are... So you get to understand, you know, not just where there's an opportunity, but how these groups think about this problem. Um, and that process is really... When people first hear you communicating like that, they really... It opens their mind, and I think it, it makes you look in a, in a, in a good light. Leading to that last point, which you were describing, which is, you know, how do you translate this to a better job experience? Okay. And I think one of the challenges that I've seen is that, you know, veterinary students, when they see problems in practice, they come off um, at times very aggressive and, and almost naive with respect to to the interview process. So, you know, you should be doing these things. And the instant reaction from the practitioners that I speak to is like, I, I, I dislike it. I find it a turnoff when vet students come in and they've been sitting in front of me for 10 minutes and they're like, oh, you should be doing these things because they have no idea you know, what my life or my practice is like. Right. But there is an opportunity to ask questions that I think reflect an, a, a deeper commitment to understanding the, the problems in the, in the practice that don't come off as... Um, I know better than you, right? And so right. even things like, you know, can you tell me a little bit about how you manage clients? Do you communicate with them uh, online? Who's responsible for that? Why did you make those decisions? Help me understand how you see your practice and help me understand how that looks like, whether you're a technician, an associate, an owner, or front desk staff. And then you can start to say, you know, well, here are some of the things that I'm working on and things that I think are as a priority. So it's not saying this is the way that you have to do these things, but tell me how you how you approach um, learning, you know, continuing education. When's the last time? Tell me how you communicate new services to mm -hmm. clients or new products or new equipment. And all of a sudden, you've already in a few questions really set yourself apart from the other ninety five percent of people that are going to interview for those jobs without coming across as oh, I know what's better for you. Right. And, and then that gives you a better understanding when you eventually speak to your, your, your eventual boss about how you approach actually doing something to address those problems. Um, and again, there's some strategies there, but I think overall, um, this notion that veterinarians, um, there, there, there can be a balance between don't talk about business and when you talk about business, you come off as you know, too aggressive or, or just, you know, too naive about the way that things operate. And I think that middle ground is really seeking to understand what the, so the situation is for that practice and, and maybe the things that they truthfully care about. Right. I think it's worth saying that, you know, my, some of my favorite moments um, and some of the biggest learning opportunities I've had have been in, in vet school. And I think um, it can be very difficult to appreciate it at the time. But just by trying to do something with your idea, even by taking the time to, to really think critically about ways in which you want to improve the profession, 
and taking that first step, it's not always an easy one, but it's, uh, it's definitely an impactful one. And, and what we're trying to do and, and try and help and hopefully your listeners uh, kind of fit in this camp is, is give people the support to, to take that first step. Right. So let's co-create our future. <laughs> awesome. Well, that's going to wrap it up for us today. I want to say a huge thank you to Dr. Adam Little for spending some time with us today and and sharing his thoughts and insight on this super important topic of tech and innovation in vet med, uh, especially for us new and emerging veterinarians who I know uh, are really going to make some shakeups uh, in the industry, some positive shakeups um, over the coming years. Please check out more about Adam and his work at www dot exponentialvet.com and be sure to follow him on twitter at exponential vet he's got a great weekly digest that you can get that hits on a lot of these topics uh, and more concerning technology innovation uh, and being an entrepreneur in veterinary medicine and beyond and a huge thank you goes out to you for listening uh, to the vet school unleashed podcast for resources and more information about Adam, as well as information about the podcast, please check us out at www.vetschoolunleashed.com or find us on Twitter or Facebook. Feel free to reach out to me on Twitter or email at seth at vetschoolunleashed.com with any suggestions or topics you'd like to hear us talk about, or even reach out if you want to be on the podcast and uh, share some insight of your own. Thank you again, and we'll talk to you next time on Vet School Unleashed, Dissecting the DVM. <laughs>